0: Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro seeding, hydromulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for the King's Men. If you'd like to contact the King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958, 931-243-3958, or you may email them at inc 2001 at TWX.net. That tkm inc tkminc2001 at TWX.net. The King's Men in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include but are not limited to road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660 or www.sjnl.com That's www.sjnl.com SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. My least favorite installment in the franchise of the Indiana Jones movies is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Followed, mind you, a very, very close second is the uh, kingdom of the crystal skull but all they did in the temple of doom was take the things that worked in raiders and just made them larger and more unbelievable now i understand that when you are in into a fantasy movie and you go into the theater you have to participate in what is known as the willing suspension of disbelief and, and i can suspend my disbelief i can i walk in and uh, you know accept the fact that they've cloned dinosaurs i can walk in the fact and, and believe that you know they're the the shankara stones I, I can suspend my disbelief but but the the suspension of disbelief just got out of question in the temple of doom i mean it was just un unimaginable the things they asked me to accept you know falling from the sky and landing in a river an in inflatable raft uh, hanging onto a bridge after you cut it in half, jumping the tracks on a mine car and that thing landing perfectly, spending more than 30 minutes in the same room with that little kid and not killing him and not throwing that lady out every, the first opportunity you had because she was just way full of drama. I, my suspension of disbelief only goes so far. However, as an impressionable young man, you end up with some things from most movies that you either remember or wish you didn't remember. Uh, One is, you call him Dr. Jones. That I just sort of remember. And several of my friends remembered it. And so oftentimes they either say that to me or call me Dr. Jones. And and I don't have a doctorate. And the only motivation for getting a doctorate would be so I could use that line. You call him Dr. Jones. But uh, that's probably not going to happen the other thing that seems to to echo in my mind and keep me connected to a movie that i really didn't enjoy was this high priest mularam and he comes onto the stage and they they do you know we're going to show you what we do to people then we're going to try to do it to indy and he walks out and this guy's tied up and they've given him this uh this drink to keep him alive and keep him in a suspended animation and he starts to slowly chant and he goes through the Kale-ma, kale-ma, and it builds up to this crescendo, and it's the ceremonially uh, ripping out of the human heart with the resultant screaming in blood. I, I tend to remember that and don't know why most people tend to remember the Kalema chant. Well, I'd seen the movie, and it snowed at Harding University. I'd never seen that much snow in my life. I grew up in Oxford, Alabama, and we rarely had snow deep enough to, to play in. In Oxford, Alabama, snow was a big deal. If you got enough snow to cover the roads, it, it, school was closed. Everything was closed. There was panic. It was the apocalypse. It was the snow apocalypse. In Oxford, Alabama, if a flower truck had spilled, we'd have canceled school. Alabama is not prepared for snow, and, and we just don't see snow. Alabama's not prepared for snow like the northern states. Say like South Carolina. In Oxford, Alabama, we would close school if there was a heavy frost. I woke up in Arkansas. I looked out the second floor window of the dorm that I lived on, and and everything was white. It was a deep white snow, and I got up feeling really, really good, expecting to have a snow day. Well, bless Harding University's lovely little heart. They assumed, and I guess rightly so, that most of the students lived on campus, and so there's no need to cancel classes. In fact, I learned later, uh, to quote the great James Walters, if it snowed axle-deep on a Ferris wheel, Harding would not close classes. So I go from being elated that I'm not going to have to go to class today, to I've got to get dressed and walk across campus. I had an, an early morning lecture class, it was, I guess, maybe a freshman lecture because it was in a, it was in the heritage auditorium you've got a slanted room with theater style seating and a stage and i put on an unlined army surplus coat i dug through my stuff and i found a, a, a toboggan to wear and then I rated my repelling stuff and got those little brown I think they're called brown jersey gloves and I'd use those gloves as the outside of my leather gloves that I repelled with and then if the rope burned through you just replaced the $1.99 liner so I walk across campus in knee deep snow in a poorly designed coat gloves that are too thin And a hat that doesn't necessarily make my head feel good because it's going to give me hat hair all day long this is in the days that i had hair and i walk into this lecture room the room is dim i work my way over several people and i plop down beside paul richardson and i don't want to be there i don't want to be in this class so i decide that although i've got to be there i might as well get comfortable and so i start pulling the gloves off well what i did is i grabbed the thing that goes around your wrist on the little glove and i pulled it off and the glove turned inside out and when you pull a glove off over itself and it turns inside out the fingers don't always appear so i've got this brown blob with half the fingers and looking at it i thought that kind of looks like a heart then i stuck my fist inside the glove and turned it sideways and sure enough this little brown blob on my fist with these partially extruded fingers looked like a heart with exposed arteries i sat back in the seat dissatisfied and disgruntled for having to be there the teacher started some kind of monotone lecture and i just couldn't help myself i began to chant in a low voice "Kalema." ma the teacher heard me and stopped I began to build to a crescendo. Kalei Ma! Ma! And then I took my hand with the glove on it and reached inside of Paul Richardson's jacket and started to to work my arm around. Paul grabbed my wrist, started kicking his feet, struggling and screaming, and then I exploded from his jacket with the fake heart on my hand. I flexed my, my fist so that, look, the heart was beating. I held it above my head and laughed maniacally. And that's when the teacher said, Mr. Jones, you may go play in the snow. Now, looking back, I don't know if that was permission to go play in the snow, or she kicked me out of class. I took her at her word and left, assuming I had earned myself an excused absence. And as liberated as I felt, I may have been being punished. Or even though I might've been being punished, I felt liberated. Maybe this teacher wasn't punishing me. Maybe she was giving me something that she thought I needed. You see, you can read about whatever she was teaching in class that day. I had the textbook. And, and, and you can read about snow. But you can't experience snow from reading about it. And she let me go out into the snow and saw that being in the snow maybe was more beneficial to me than being in her class. I really don't know if she actually granted me the freedom or just kicked me out. (laughs) But she did something for me based on insight. Either that it wasn't going to do me any good to be in class or it wasn't going to do her any good for me to be in class or that maybe I didn't need to be in class and what I needed was to be out in the snow. And she probably knew that at least I thought I needed to be in the snow, but I didn't know how to ask for it. I wasn't brave enough to just stand up and say, hey, do I have to be here today? Can I be excused? I wasn't smart enough to look at my grades and go, you know, my grades are okay. I can skip a class one day. But she had enough insight to know that with my antics, with all the drama, she knew what I was asking for. So when I pulled the guy's heart out, <laughs> she let me leave class. I heard a guy named Jody Middick. He's a Canadian sniper, and in one of his deployments, he lost both of his feet. And he tells the story about his rehab And in the Canadian health system, they send him to this hospital and he goes in and, you know, they give him a four pound weight to put on the end of his uh, stump and do leg curls with it. Well, this is a a special forces operator. This is a guy who's gone through the things where you become a scout sniper. This is an equivalent of our Ranger or Green Beret or Navy SEAL. And, And they put him in this room and they give him a four pound weight. And the nurse comes back and said, well, how did you do? How many times did you do? He said, well, I'm up to 167. And he's still doing leg curls with this thing. He could not understand why why he was being mollycoddled, why he was being treated with kit gloves when he wanted to get better. He wanted to get stronger. In his mind, hey, we're going to fix this. I'm going to get cool prosthetics. I'm going to go back into the war. But the hospital wasn't giving him what he needed. They didn't recognize his need for rehabilitation and activity. They were treating him not as if he would get better, but treating him as if he were just wounded. He said he visited a hospital in Houston, Texas, and a guy with prosthetics and and who was blind was in the lobby. A doctor came out and yelled the guy's name, tackled him, and they started wrestling in the floor. And Jody was like, that's what I need. I, I need somebody who will tackle me and wrestle me in the floor he tells about being in this hospital and there being a doctor and 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 the doctor was a marine and so when the marines would come to him for physical therapy if they didn't wear their marine issued pt gear he'd get on to them he says no 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 you're you're a marine and the marine corps tells you what to wear for pt and when you come to pt you wear that because you will be marching by march and jody said that the inside of this doctor and the inside of this rehab facility was that they responded to what these people needed. They responded to the fact that that you're hurt, but you're gonna get better. I I call it intentional adversity. It's choosing to do things that are very, very difficult so that I can maintain a level of functionality or, or improve a level of functionality. It's the idea that I'm willing to do what other people want so that I can continue to do what other people can't. Now, that's a motto I read. That's not my saying. I'm not somebody who does things other people can't. But I try to live my life in such a way that that's, I place challenges. And I've, I've noticed that in the times in my life when I had the most challenges or the times in my life when I had the most growth I've I've got two friends, um, Chad George and, and Jason Brightwell, and they just finished a hundred mile run. At the end of the hundred mile run, yeah. They they finished a hundred miles, ran all night, ran the better part of two days, and at the end you get a you get a belt buckle. And somebody said, You did all that for a belt buckle? No, no, no. The belt buckle's a conversation piece. You expose yourself to intentional adversity so that when a daunting task appears before you, it's not daunting. It doesn't intimidate you. It doesn't frighten you. And so when we encounter people who are wounded, we encounter people who are broken, we encounter people who are hurt, do we need to treat them that way? Or do we need to treat them as if they are going to get better? Not that they're better. Not that we expect them to be fine and and, and not grieve. Not that we expect them to be okay and not limp. Not that we expect them uh, to, to perform at the same level. But give them challenges and give them tasks and, and and expose them to things, expecting them to see that we see that one day they'll be better. When I got hurt back in 09, my large intestine ruptured on January the 15th. On January the 30th, Jackie said, tomorrow we're going hunting. Now, that's that's when it dawned on me that I had nearly died because my wife doesn't hunt. She doesn't like to get up early. She doesn't like to be in the dark. And she definitely doesn't like to be out in the cold when there's nothing to do. But she packed up my stuff and dressed in her little ski parka and her little fuzzy gloves and took her laptop computer and we walked out onto Kill Mountain and I set up a pop-up blind and she sat in it so that she could move her hands and read her computer and I sat with my back against a red oak tree and looked down a draw because she said, I don't want you to miss the last day of hunting season. I was wearing a colostomy bag and had unhealed stitches in my abdomen. And, and, and I wouldn't have shot a deer that day if a Boone and Crockett 190-incher had walked out there. Number one, I wasn't going to pull the trigger on that out 6 the way my abdomen felt. And number two, there'd been no way to drag the deer out. And, and Jackie knew I, I wasn't hunting, but I was hunting. And she took me out into the woods because she wanted me to have the vision on the last day of deer season that I'd be hunting on the first day of deer season the next year. And instead of treating me as if I was wounded, instead of treating me as if I was hurt, instead of treating me as if I was broken, she treated me as if I was going to get better. she made me walk every day. The first trip, when I crawled off that cot in the living room, and, and it was, let's go to the mailbox. And then it was, let's go to the stop sign. And it was, let's go to the top of the hill. And before the whole thing was said and done I, I was walking three miles every day with a walking stick and a colostomy bag but it would not have it would not have ended the way it did had she treated me as, as if i wasn't going to get better and if i was always going to be broken or always going to be sad or always going to be hurt is it punishment or is it freedom sometimes i ask you to do difficult things and it and it feels like punishment, but in truth, I'm, I'm building you toward freedom. God asks us to do difficult things, and sometimes it feels like punishment, but it really is about giving us freedom. Don't treat me like I'm wounded. Recognize I'm wounded. Recognize I'm hurt. Recognize that there's a part of me that's broken. And recognize that's a temporary thing, not a permanent thing. It, it may be who I am right now, but you've got to show me a picture of who I will be. You've got to show me a picture of, of of what you see that I can be. I may not know how to ask for it. I may not know what I want. I, I may be pulling some antics. I, I may be causing some drama. I may stand up and it looks like I pull somebody's heart out because I just don't know how to ask for what I want but if you understand that I'm hurt and you understand that I'm wounded and you understand that I'm broken and you will treat me like I have the potential to be healed. If you'll treat me like I have the potential to be whole, if you'll treat me like I have the potential to be better than what I need to be and what you see I can be, is that you see, I can be better. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure, is sponsored by us. What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of Pedagogue, the Youth Ministry Book by Lonnie Jones. Cognitive Spiritual Development, A Christ-Centered Approach to Spiritual Self-Esteem, Grappling with Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, A Small Essay Using the Principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to Talk About Psychological and Emotional Self-Defense, If I Were a Mouse, A Children's Book Written and Illustrated by Lonnie Jones, and then The Selfish Real, A Very Short Story About a Decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country, some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure.